1: A possible Supreme Court takeover, congressional Democrats reveal a plan to expand the high court, allowing them to pack it with liberal justices and take over the majority. Shocker. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. We are here today because the United States Supreme Court is broken. It is out of balance. Uh, and it needs to be fixed. It also will enable us to do justice and to rectify the great injustice that was done in packing the court. And t- some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. Senator McConnell and the Republicans packed the court over the last couple of years. <laughs> it's, they're so shameless. It's it's almost impressive. Welcome to Hold the Line on Buck Sexton. Little Jerry Nadler there saying that the court-packing plan that he's bringing forward is unpacking. That's very Orwellian, right? Up is down, war is peace, strength is weakness. Just just make it up as you go along. Change the plain meaning of language, of words, of reality, really. Anything for power, Democrats, right? That's the plan. That's what they're going to do. Look, let's just first establish, let's have a little fun with this. Uh, the Democrats are enormous hypocrites. they are tremendous frauds on this issue. And we could go back, not even just to the most recent campaign where Joe Biden was playing this tap dance around whether he would support packing or not. We'll get to that. Uh, but you go back to Joe Biden in 1983, right near the time that I was born. Here's what he was saying about court packing back then.
2: President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate, and the United States Congress, a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress, in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. A
1: boneheaded
2: idea. What
1: changed? Oh, that's right. The composition of the court. Democrats need it to be a super legislature. That's what they view the Supreme Court as. When they can't actually ram through what they want through Congress, the Supreme Court will just give it to them. Roe v. Wade being the best example, but there are many examples of this where all of a sudden we have to listen to whatever nine lawyers in judges' robes say, and that's the end of it. Democrats love it when they get their way, no matter how much it violates the Constitution or even common sense. But right now, they've got a little bit of a problem. The court is not radical right by any stretch of the imagination, but it does have a rightward tilt if you look at the 6-3 makeup of who's on what side of the aisle. Also, can we stop pretending that the Supreme Court isn't obviously a political body at this point? Look, look who we've got here. The liberals, there you go. Okay, and then on the, on the left, you got the conservatives, six of them. So six and three, and, and I just wanna say that this, uh, if you're gonna to point to what happened and what Biden said in 1983, and say, well, that was a long time ago, much has changed. Okay, well, here he is in 2005, in the summer of 37,
2: Roosevelt had just come off a landslide victory over Alf Landon. He had a Congress made up of solid new dealers, but the nine old men of the court were thwarting his agenda. In this environment, Roosevelt, and remember this old adage about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, corrupted by power, in my view, unveiled his court packing plan. He wanted to increase the number of justices to 15, allowing himself to nominate those additional judges. He took an act of courage on the part of his own party institutionally to stand up against this power grab.
1: Hmm. And if you're wondering, in the most recent presidential campaign, that same man, Joe Biden, when he was asked if he would support court packing, said he couldn't give an answer because that's all the press would talk about that day. So it's not that new that we're up against this now. The Democrats have clearly decided to shift in favor of an absolutist scorched earth approach. Will they actually go so far here as to cross this Rubicon? Are they willing to do it to pack the Supreme Court, which then of course means that the next time you have a Republican administration, there'd be be tons of pressure on them to add more judges and more judges. I mean, Give it, uh, give it 10 or 15 years. What are we going to have? 20 Supreme Court justices? Well, I guess you'd have to have 21. You want it to be an odd number. But you understand where I'm going with this. Even none other than the recently sainted Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sainted on the left, said this in 2019 about court packing. Here she is.
0: This court has had as few as five, as many as 10. Nine seems to be a good number, and it's been that way for, for a long time. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. Yeah, but
1: that won't that won't stop them now if they think they can get away with it. The question really becomes, do they worry about paying a political price in all of this? Are, are they concerned that if they go forward with this power grab, the American people will punish them in the midterm elections? That's one point of view on it. But there's also another. And that's the Democrats seem to be so full, so brimming with confidence, you could even say overconfidence right now, that perhaps they view this as an opportunity to forever change the American political landscape, that over the course of the next two or three years, they view it as possible should they say, get rid of the filibuster, pack the court, pass HR1, to create a one-party state, a de facto one-party state in America, where there's the Democrats controlling 70 to 80% of the political power in the country. And then there's a leftover rump Republican party that doesn't really actually have any real means, any real mechanisms of standing in front of the Democrat onslaught and stopping their political plans. Uh, There are other countries where this has happened. This is not something that's unheard of. Democrats may even look to our south to Mexico where the PRI was the party in power in a democracy, at least ostensibly, For over 70 years, one-party control was broken about a decade ago, but nonetheless, it can happen, and it could happen here. What does the American political landscape look like if Democrats do these things? Get rid of the filibuster, pass H.R. 1, pack the Supreme Court, continue with this open border, and then, of course, get through an amnesty for not just permanent status, but citizenship, adding millions of Democrat voters, likely Democrat voters, to the rolls. What do we think then? We're going to be looking at 10 or 15,000 vote contests in states like Georgia or Michigan or Pennsylvania. Really think that's what the electoral map's gonna look like in the future? So while they may recognize that under our current political reality, the Democrats are playing with fire should they pack the courts, they also can look far ahead enough to understand that if they go for it all right now under this Biden administration, they may be in a position to make sure they win all future elections as well. It doesn't matter. It will forever alter what it is to be uh, having elections in this country. So these are the stakes we're seeing right now. Perhaps they just back off of this. And then there's also that the, the pretense of moderation that will come. Oh, look, Democrats, they didn't pack the courts, so sure they should spend $2 trillion on infrastructure, when only 25% of it actually has anything to do with infrastructure, sure, they should go for it. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be presented to you. So just get ready for that. Talk more about this in just a second with what what is the Democrat plan here really? What game are they playing? Got a man who could speak to this in detail, Dinesh D'Souza. He joins me to talk about Democrats' power grab and the Supreme Court, that's up next. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? Well, I felt exactly that way until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't know how to invest while staying committed to all my obligations. Like you, I'm really busy, and real estate's complicated and and can be risky, right? Well, then I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate, and they got me my start. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away, they managed the tenant for me and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Okay, they took me from every step in this process, one to the next, making sure that I knew what city, what house, what management team, all of it. They got it all in place for me. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, that's DoneForYouBuck.com. If you want to start your real estate investment journey today, but do it with experts that'll take you through every step of the process and you'll be more successful this way, DoneForYouBuck.com.
3: They're going
0: to go from 9 to 13 on the court. That's what the bill says. This is frightening where they want to take the country. It is a dangerous, dangerous direction where they're going with immigration policy, where they're going with the, with the court policy. They want to control everything, and it's scary. The
2: farthest left activists aren't interested in the common good. They want power. If Republicans had introduced a bill to add four Supreme Court seats for the last president to fill, there would have been weeks of wall-to-wall outrage on every newspaper and cable TV channel, nonstop.
1: Republicans slamming the move by Democrats to at least begin looking at adding four justices to the Supreme Court, which will bring the number to 13. Here to weigh in on this obvious power grab, should they actually go through with it, is conservative filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, also the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, which all of you should check out. He's doing it every day, recording it. Dinesh, great to see you.
2: Hey, my pleasure, good to be with you.
1: I, Dinesh, I, I see this. I see the headline. It, it, it hits last night on the, on the news sites, and then today I know we're all going to be talking about this. As part of me just feels like, how could we be even be surprised at this point? Everything about the Biden administra- administration so far seems to be no good faith, no, no middle ground, scorched earth my way or the highway.
2: I agree, and I think that it is a little bit of our naivete not to expect this, and in fact, not to anticipate it. If you you know, you know, played Mitch McConnell basically saying, if we had done this uh, a year or two ago, they would have been screaming, well, maybe we should have done it. Uh, because had we done it, uh, it would have taught them a lesson and it would have made them a little more reluctant to do it themselves because they would see that two can play it, this game. Right now, the reason the left is pushing ahead on all fronts is they're constantly catching us off guard. We seem to be like neophytes in this game. Uh, and so they're like, wow, we can, we, we, we discover we can round up all the corporations. We can kick them off the platforms. We can back the court. Uh, and we're, we're discovering it's, the, all of this is meeting with surprisingly little resistance other than the kind of just sort of shows of outrage um, you know, and so I think the left feels emboldened by the fact that they're not meeting any significant resistance That they know that we won't dream of doing it to them.
1: You know, Dinesh, one of my frustrations, and, and you're, you're alluding to, I think, a similar sentiment here, is that when Trump won the election, the next day there was active hashtag resistance marching through the streets of New York City, all the institutions the left controls, certainly the media on Hollywood, everything was united in this effort to do, to do whatever they could to oppose Trump in whatever way they could, including making up the Russia collusion conspiracy theory and all these other things. Where is our hashtag resistance on the right? It, it feels like we're, we're hoping that they're going to exhaust themselves with these attempts at autocracy in a one-party state. I think that's a very bad strategy.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more
0: at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
2: Yeah, I think this can all be summarized in what I would call the classic, uh, you know, Rona McDaniel tweet, which is things like, you know, the Democrats must not. The Democrats must not do this and they must not do that. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, obviously they don't care what Rona McDaniel says. And and the must not is another way of saying, I don't have any way of doing anything about this. I'm merely annoyed by it, but essentially I'm going to grudgingly just go along with it. So this is a this is a sign, I think, of of a serious problem on our side which is an unwillingness to grasp the situation as it is. Here's a small example. I was just uh, yesterday talking on Fox about a Swiss billionaire who wants to buy the Tribune newspapers. This is a left-wing billionaire. Uh, you know, the Tribune is already left-leaning. So the whole idea is to buy these media properties as instruments of propaganda. Now there's a good deal of money on our side, but you know, our, um, our guys don't wanna buy the Washington Post uh, for $250 million. I mean, think of it, the Washington Post is up for sale for a quarter of a billion dollars, there are probably 30 guys on the right who could write that check without blinking, and yet not one of them would dream of doing it because they're wondering things like, well, what's the return? Aren't newspapers out of date? How many people read newspapers today instead of saying it's the Washington Post? It has an impact on all the networks. So if we want to be in this game and fight with the same weapons as the as the left. We need to have a network, we need to have serious newspapers, we need to have universities and academic programs, we need to be able to make movies, but it doesn't seem like, we we seem very inert on this cultural front, which these days is the name of the game.
1: You know, Dinesh, uh, speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke specifically about her view on whether they should do court packing or not. I wanted to have you react to this. Play the clip.
0: Do you support Jerry Nather's bill to expand the Supreme Court by four seats? And would you commit to bringing that bill to the floor? No. I I, I support the president's commission to study such a proposal, uh, but um, frankly, I, I, I'm not. I, Dinesh, I mean.
1: Uh, support this study? We all know what this, su- support the study of the proposal? I mean, I just wonder, I have, I have a few feelings here and trying to get inside Nancy Pelosi's brain is obviously a dangerous experiment, but is this all Democrat, Maude and Bailey argument where, well, okay, maybe, maybe they didn't pack the Supreme Court, but they're, they're just going to break the filibuster for something else, right? I mean, wh- what do you see happening here? How is it that on the one hand, they're pushing this forward, but then Nancy Pelosi is kind of babbling as she does?
2: Well, no, no. I think there's a, there's something going on here, which is this. Uh, the logic of Nadler and these guys goes like this. They're basically thinking, listen, Biden, you're playing a little pirouette dance game. You want to set up a commission, stack it with left-wing academics. They'll recommend expanding the court. Well, listen, that's all going to take 10 months. Why don't we jump the gun and just do it now? We all know why this commission is coming out, so why go through the pretense? Let's just kind of get to the conclusion and get to it tomorrow. Now, Nancy Pelosi is more on track with the Biden approach, which is, listen, the American people will be a little alarmed. This is a very divided country. It's not like one party enjoys vast majority support. So for the left to try to grab the only institution of government that might provide some resistance, Pelosi realizes that's kind of politically dangerous. So she wants to do the tap dance, pirouette, backward somersault routine. But Nadler is trying to cut her off at the pass and basically say, why go through all the formalities? Let's just do it now. Dinesh, that begs the, that forces the question. Uh,
1: Do you think they might actually do this? Do you think they might actually get this done in uh,
2: Biden's first term? I do not think the likelihood is that they will. I think that they will exhaust a lot of effort trying. Um, in some ways, they're better off to focus on things like HR one and the filibuster because if they get HR one, this will give them. This is almost like getting the home team advantage in every game going forward, and so that's going to give them the chance to build the kind of majority that could eventually control the court. But I think the effort to just go for the court right now—it's a little bit of a hail mary pass—and uh, I think it's it, that's going to be difficult even getting fifty Democrats to be on board with that.
1: Dinesh. Where is our conservative resistance right now in terms of elected officials? I mean, who, who is actually making the case? We, we pay their salaries. They're supposed to be able to explain to the American people why the Democrat approach here is bad and why the Biden administration, it feels like there's, there's not a lot right now. There's not a lot of people to celebrate other than maybe DeSantis down in Florida, but do you see anybody who's, who's standing out in your mind?
2: Well, the conservative movement has had a lot of trouble, I think, in the last uh, four years. First of all, intellectually, it's been sort of brain dead since at least 2016. And all I mean by that is that the the majority of the conservative intelligentsia has been essentially mobilizing against Trump. So in terms of actually advancing the, uh, you know, where the Republican Party should be, what is a kind of post-Reagan agenda for the 21st century. We're getting very little in this regard. Uh, that's a, That, I think, is a real problem. And then I think in terms of the new leadership, I mean, think how disappointing it was when Christy Noem, somebody who seemed to have, you know, not only that kind of chic uh, political sense, but also very good instinct, suddenly comes out and basically is talked into uh, vetoing a bill on transgender rights by the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, this is basically an a- Aza Hutchinson level of stupidity and probably ends her prospects of national leadership in the party. So uh, I'm a little mystified at why people who have so much promise are turning out to be such duds.
1: Dinesh D'Souza, everybody. Check out the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, out every Monday through Friday. Dinesh, good to see you. My pleasure. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine remains on pause as Pfizer CEO just announced a third dose of their vaccine is Likely. That's right. We'll break down the latest on all things COVID vaccination in tonight's Buck Brief. I've warned you about home title theft, where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title and become the owner. I said, you better get home title lock because it's coming. Well, if you're on Facebook, the big breach is already here. Facebook had 500 million accounts exposed to cyber thieves. And according to a retired FBI cyber crime expert, Everything thieves need to take the home address that you've got and actually make it seem like it's theirs, uh, it's already out there. You see, the thief forges your signature on a quit claim deed stating you sold your home to him. He'll leave you in debt or even have you evicted. It's not a complicated process for the bad guys. So you got to do what I did protect your home with home title lock. That's right, home title lock protects you from home title theft. You can go right now to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see. If you're already a victim, then sign up for 30 free days of protection during this high-risk breach period. Again, go to hometitlelock.com now, use promo code RADIO. That's hometitlelock.com, promo code RADIO. Vaccination numbers nationwide are starting to look pretty good. We're having tens of millions of Americans getting their full vaccination dosage behind them, and yet there are still concerns about when we can actually return to normal. Part of this comes from how effective are these vaccines really at preventing infection and for how long? We do have some numbers to talk about with this. We'll get into it on the Buck Brief. Okay, so let's say you've been vaccinated. Some of you probably are watching this, a lot of you I would guess, but let's say you've been vaccinated currently dr fauci and the cdc guidance that he speaks for even though he doesn't work at the cdc uh, tell you that you have to continue to wear a mask you have to keep masking up you're not allowed to let your guard down as he says but i thought the whole point of getting vaccinated was that you're safe from the disease yourself and also about a hundred years of modern medicine and vaccine history show us that you're also very, very unlikely to give it to somebody else, right? Can't get it, can't give it. You know, it's, it's, it's very unusual, say, for somebody who can't actually have a, an infection manifest in their body, but they're gonna pass the infection to someone else's body. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Now, it's possible you could have a low-grade infection after a vaccine, and then perhaps, again, what are the real risk factors here? Perhaps, perhaps pass that on to somebody else, But what do the real numbers tell us? Well, the Wall Street Journal came out today with this. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have identified a small cohort of approximately 5,800 cases of COVID-19 infection among more than 66 million Americans who have completed a full course of vaccination. These so-called breakthrough cases, which are defined as positive COVID-19 test results received after at least two weeks after a patient received their final vaccine dose, represent point, Zero, zero, eight percent of the fully vaccinated population. Friends, come on. I mean, we're talking about what, a roughly one in 10,000 shot here of actually getting COVID after you've been vaccinated. That's not safe enough. Still got to wear your masks, really? When are we able to not wear the masks then? When are we able to stop with this pandemic theater stuff we see all the time. Take your temperature when you go into a restaurant. Signs everywhere telling you to wash your hands. Oh yeah, that saved a lot of us, I'm sure. The little markings you have in an elevator, you have it here in New York, I've seen it in other places too, telling you where to put your feet so you can be better at social distancing as if we're all a nation of morons. This is what Fauciism has foisted upon us. This is what it has created. And so now when we see that, as many of us were saying all along, of course, vaccinated people. With a highly effective vaccine, your chance of getting and giving is also going to be very, very low. 0.008. If you're going to go through life worried about a 1 in 10,000 shot of something happening to you, you're not going to leave your house. This is just crazy. And finally, it seems some people are waking up even more to this reality. I will say Jim Jordan in Congress has been good on this. There are only a few people that will actually call out the little lab coat tyrant Fauci for the nonsense that he often spews, for the contradictory guidance, for the babbling and the muttering that doesn't make any sense to anybody. Uh, I want to play this. This We've got about a minute that you should watch here of an exchange today between congress and jim jordan and anthony dr anthony fauci on exactly this issue of okay we got numbers we know it's really safe now after the vaccine so when do we get to actually tell vaccinated people that they can just live their lives watch
0: what measure what i mean are are we just going to continue this forever when does when does when do we get to the point what measure what standard what objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before before americans get their liberty and freedoms back you know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's I look obvious. At this as a public health thing. But the, 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 I disagree with you, you on that. You think the Constitution complete. is suspended during a during a, a, a virus during a pandemic? It's certainly not. This will end, for sure, when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level, there's a threat again of major surges. Dr. Fauci, over the last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. Your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now.
1: Indeed. Notice that Fauci, it doesn't even occur to him that there's anything to think about other than the mitigation measures, which, how effective have those really been? They always act like we've done it our way when we've actually done it their way. Meeting the public health experts, they've gotten exactly what they said needed to happen time and time again. Mandates, lockdowns, all these restrictions. 500,000 plus dead in the United States from COVID-19. Yeah, what are we really gonna believe that it's only because some people didn't didn't behave well enough. That's why this happened? No, Fauci is a little fascist, and we can all see exactly what's going on here. He knows that he's cornered. Why can't he give us a number? What is it? How many at what point do they tell us that we that the infection level is low enough that we can actually go back to our lives? At what point are they willing to say to us, you know what, we've we've done enough here, we get it. It's not perfect. Still people are still people will get sick from COVID. People will still die from COVID but we do have to let society go back to normal, that it matters, that all the lockdowns and the masking and the insanity needs to stop. This is this guy's only job, right? Why can't he give us the number? What is it? How much is it? He keeps saying it will end at some point, really? Remember when they told us two weeks to flatten the curve? Somehow it went from, we're just gonna flatten the curve and then we're gonna let it rip and just do our our best as individuals to, no, big government's going to come and tell you that you can't actually open your store. You can't see loved ones. You can't go to church. Fauci never thinks about liberty in this context. The guy who used to laugh, that's Fauci, used to laugh at the idea of masking. It's so dumb, so pointless, doesn't actually do anything or help anyone. So, yeah, Dr. Fauci can't give you the numbers. I'm glad that Jim Jordan is holding him to account because here's what you need to be prepared for. Those of you who watch this show or see my radio program, listen to my radio program, listen to the Buck Sexton podcast every day, which you should all be listening to, uh, you know that I've been calling this stuff accurately for now almost a year. I said New York and there'd be a second wave, there'd be a second shutdown in New York City and other places across the country, that we'd get to double masking, that they'd keep extending and moving the goalposts and saying, no, just a little more, just a little more, until we realize that it's just a little more forever. And if you think I'm I'm going too far. Okay. So the idea right now is that everyone gets vaccinated, everyone gets vaccinated, which that's going to be a major challenge and going to take, I mean, before we even get to 70 or 80% vaccination, given vaccine hesitancy right now, you're looking at at least a year or two from now, right? But even at that point, there would still be some COVID out there. And remember that we keep thinking that, well, the vaccinated at some point don't have to think about this anymore. But the problem is if you listen to what they're telling you, here's the Pfizer CEO. It is extremely important to suppress the pool of people that can be susceptible to the virus. We're studying the durability of the antibody response. It seems strong, but there is some waning of that and no doubt the variants challenge. They make these vaccines work harder. So I think for planning purposes, I think we should expect we may have to boost. That's right. They're telling you now at the 12 month mark, get ready for your vaccine booster shot. Who wants to place bets if we get into the booster shot realm here that it's going to be every 12 months? Kind of like the flu, where we get a vaccine, you can take it, you don't take it, flu season comes in, flu season kills tens of thousands of Americans every year. And yet we don't mask, we don't shut down, we don't... So is that what the goal is? They should at least be honest about this. Because if the goal is to wait until there's essentially no virus spreading in our society, we are under the Fauciite consensus, the mask religion and all the rest of it indefinitely. And they don't want to tell you that. All right, Secretary of State Blinken touched down in Afghanistan less than 24 hours after Biden announced he's pulling all U.S. troops out of the country. When we come back, we'll talk to retired Army Colonel Kurt Schlichter on what this means going forward. Less than 24 hours after President Biden announced U.S. troops will leave Afghanistan by September 11th, Secretary of State Blinken landed in the country to meet with senior Afghan leaders and U.S. troops. I'm here to to demonstrate uh, our ongoing commitment to uh, the Islamic Republic, to the people of Afghanistan. React, we have senior columnist at Townhall.com, Kurt Schlichter. Uh, it says a lot about security. <laughs> Secretary Blinken still had to sneak into the country less than two decades after American troops arrived. Uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. But, but Kurt, you know, you were uh, in the United States military for quite some time. I know you're in the reserves. Tell me this, man. What do you think? Just start with the top line here. Is Biden rate, Is Biden making the right move?
3: Well, look, I, I think it's long since uh, time that we move out of Afghanistan and uh, uh, cease a war that we've decided that we refuse to win. Uh, is he botching it? Yeah, of course he is. It's, it's going to be a disaster. And I, I, I loved, uh, you know, I, I'm sitting there watching the uh, Afghan president listen to Tony Blinken go, oh, we're totally behind you. And he's no doubt thinking, yeah, that's what you said to the guy in uh, South Vietnam. So if I were... Uh, if I were uh, the uh, ambassador to uh, uh, American ambassador to Afghanistan right now, I'd have my uh, embassy engineer going up and checking on the roof, make sure they can support helicopters. Here's what
1: uh, U.S. troop presence in Afghanistan has been like over the years. In 2007, it's about 25,000. Right before I was in country, in 2011, it got to be 100,000, the surge under Obama. 2017, 14,000 today, 2,500. It seems to me, Kurt, that if if 2,500 troops are the difference between complete societal collapse and the Taliban turning this place into a a hellhole for global terrorist attacks again, uh, we we got big problems regardless.
3: I, I I think you're right. I'm not sure what the objective was. Like, you know, when I when I would hear the objective in Afghanistan. It wouldn't be a real military objective. It would be sort of, well, you know, we have to promote safety and prevent terrorism and and this kind of subjective, amorphous, uh, you know, unmeasurable goals. And they never quite measured it. The, the problem is we, like many other conquerors, went in. We, we, we did take over the country. Uh, we decided we wanted to turn it into a little Norman Rockwell, Vermont, uh, small-town democracy. And, of course, they had no interest in doing that. And they didn't do that. And we spent a lot of time and a lot of money Uh, trying to do that. Now, all the usual suspects are very, very eager to stay in Afghanistan in some form. I'm not sure why we continue to reinforce failure. The fact is we are not willing to do what it would take to conquer Afghanistan. I'm not sure we ever were willing to do that. Our initial mission was to go in there and kill the people who uh, destroyed uh, uh, the, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. We did that. Then we decided to stick around and make the Afghans into better people
1: i just feel like also if we don't learn from this history kurt i mean you're what you're describing which is accurate and i I remember from my time on the afghan cia desk uh the afghanistan cia desk and then going in country everyone who knew afghanistan well was very uh cynical about the prospects of any of this stuff actually I mean, the people i know who were true experts and there are very few of them in the u.s government about afghanistan were just saying that this this is not going to work and and yet what we've also seen over 20 years is, and that's why I showed you the, the troop levels, or I put the troop levels up on the screen. It is classic mission creep. And yet there seems to be this oh, belief, yeah. I mean, you, you see it up there again, there, there seems to be this belief, Kurt, that, well, we can keep 2,500 there, and that will keep the Taliban at bay, uh, maybe for another couple of years even, but at what point do we realize that if we have to keep 2,500 troops in place, otherwise we're going to get hit with more 9-11s, we got much bigger problems.
3: Well, look, I, I, I'm hoping that they learned a lesson about not letting their self become a base to uh, strike at Americans uh, in the United States. I mean, ho, ho, maybe we've done that. Uh, but if they haven't, I'm not sure what our interest in Afghanistan is. I mean, now, now the mission is kind of changing. Some people saying, well, you know, Afghanistan make a great base to threaten China. Well, okay, that's no, <laughs> let's just you know. It, 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 at some point, we have to understand that we're not going to convert the world, and and we also have to understand that we need to reset to strategic objectives that we're prepared to obtain. the The problem is, you know, they, they they always try and teach you. Well, you know, strategy shouldn't be restrained by constraints. Uh, like, uh, resources and, and the like. But in, in, in fact, it really should. Because if we're not willing to put the uh, uh, blood and treasure on the line, then we shouldn't do it. Let me ask you, Kirk, you know, general,
1: general Petraeus, who I, I've always, I've known uh, from, from his time in, in various roles and, and people around very close to him. Anytime a general has a lot, a lot of really favorable press, I think people who know should should kind of... Squint and think think long and hard about whether this is truly the greatest military mind of his generation. I I I, I
3: heard I heard a lot about the the great military minds. I still go back to the fact we haven't won a war in twenty years. So
1: well General Petraeus seems to think that this is a huge mistake, of course. He said, I'm really I'm really afraid we're gonna look back two years from now and regret the decision. I think we need to be really careful with our rhetoric because ending U.S. involvement in an endless war doesn't end the endless war. It just ends our involvement and I fear that this war is going to get worse. To me, in a sense, this is almost the perfect encapsulation of the endless war mentality, which is that even if you end it, you haven't ended it, so you're stuck in an endless war anyway because it has to be endless. Oh, okay.
3: Look, I, we, we are now fighting internal Afghan politics. The, the mission was originally to go kill the people who were killing us. We did that. And uh, then we should have left and left them to their own devices because they don't want us there they don't need us there they're going to figure it out their own way and it'll probably be people we don't like but you know what there's not a lot of people look there's no like small d democrats running around afghanistan who's the good guy who's the guy that we're going yeah I, i wouldn't mind if he ran my state there just isn't one, and they don't want one. They want to live the way they want to live, and, and simply because we don't want to live in a 7th century hellhole uh, doesn't mean we have to send uh, young paratroopers from Omaha out to uh, uh, fight to make a bunch of people do something they none of them want to do.
1: What changed, do you think, Kurt, with Biden at this moment? Because here he was a year ago. This was the Biden plan for Afghanistan. Play it.
2: You do think there should be some U.S. presence that remains in Afghanistan? Yes, a very small presence to be able to determine whether or not, I mean a small footprint. What does that look like It looks like several thousand people Mm -hmm. to make sure that we have a place from which we can operate.
1: What do you think changed? I mean, getting inside Joe Biden's mind is a hazardous experience. I've said it before about Pelosi on the show today. But what, what do you think made the change here?
3: Uh, You know, I I, I, I really don't know. I think he probably just kind of wants credit for it. Look, Joe Biden isn't like a savvy strategic thinker. No. Uh, Didn't uh, Bob Gates famously say he's been wrong on every major foreign policy decision he's ever made?
1: I think reliably reliably wrong on every foreign policy decision of the last 40 years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah,
3: and and of course the fact that Joe Biden's for it is about the only thing that makes me doubt my own uh inclination to pull completely out of afghanistan i mean if you got if you got joe biden on board you're heading to you're you're, you're not to any place good uh i think um i think he likes the idea of uh being known as the guy who ended the war i think he doesn't want the hassle you know the next time uh some bomber comes in and kills five or six americans i i i think he doesn't want the bad press um He's always been, you know, even a broken clock, right? He's yeah. always been kind of a, a pacifist or refu- refused to use American interests to protect American interests. Well, here he's refusing to use American power to protect non-American interests. I guess that's okay. Um I think it's kind of interesting that when it all goes to hell, and and Afghanistan will go to hell. We need to understand it, it is going to go. Yeah, into it's going to get ugly. I mean,
1: I, I support yep, the withdrawal, yep. but I've been telling everybody, I'm not saying it's yep. going to be pretty after we withdraw. But oh, I, I think no, it's, and and, and it's look, time. after
3: twenty look after Kurt, twenty years, I, we we got to we'll leave it there for now, out. man.
1: We'll have you back. I'll have you on radio. We'll get into this in more detail. But Lieutenant Excellent. Colonel Kurt, good to see you, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Bye bye. Dr. Fauci gets grilled today during a uh, coronavirus hearing, and he admits that COVID regulations and mandates don't apply in border facilities. Yeah, no surprise there. That story more coming up in Quick Hits. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown, especially when it comes to dollars and cents these days, my friends, it's more important than ever. The world we live in is not predictable, but here's what we do know is gonna happen. The Biden administration is gonna keep spending trillions of dollars, right? The government's passing these massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is going to keep printing trillions in fiat currency, and many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the months ahead. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about actual gold and silver that you can hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home, or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, the Oxford Gold Group. Give them a call right now, 833-600-GOLD. So Dr. Fauci admits that Biden's border facilities are not following CDC guidelines and a powerful video shows a brave man trying to kick Antifa out of a BLM protest. We got those stories on Quick Hits. Let's get right to it. So as you know, we're all supposed to be very concerned, very worried about uh, any close quarters, congregate settings. That's what we're always being reminded to be so focused on. But where do we have that going on in very large numbers, the U.S.-Mexico border right now, where you have tens of thousands of people in custody, you have thousands and thousands of unaccompanied minors in custody, and they're being held in very close quarters in facilities not intended for it over days at a time, which means there's a whole lot of COVID spreading, isn't there? Dr. Fauci was asked about this, here was what he said. Dr. Fauci, does this look like social distancing to you that you require when you talk about six feet? no so in these cells as you just said they're violating the very guidance that you tell americans to follow a a restaurant in the united states would be shut down today if they were being run like this yet the federal government the biden administration is running this facility you can see all of these young children who are next to each other six inches apart many without masks by the way does that follow your guidance that you've issued no well then why would the biden administration not go and stop this Mm, because they don't really want to stop the illegal crossing they just don't want people to be held in such close quarters that's the truth which is why what's going on at the border is not going to change anytime soon in fact it's only going to get worse at least if you think that illegal crossing is a bad thing which the democrats do not Uh, tucker carlson has been asking some important questions about vaccine effectiveness and why is it that we seem to have these contradictory notions being shared all the time by the public health priesthood led by Dr. Fauci? For example, why do we have to continue to mask up after getting vaccinated? These are, these are important questions, but the left doesn't like this, and the commentariat on TV certainly hates it when someone points out that Fauci is spewing nonsense that's self-contradictory, and so what do they do? They say people are gonna die because of Tucker. That's, that's what the... Uh, folks on TV are saying over at The View. The reason that people are getting vaccinated and still need to be so cautious is because of the growing number of white male Republicans that continue not to want to wear their mask, that continue not want to get vaccinated because they consider it some sort of freedom ride. And it just doesn't really make sense. And I think people like Tucker Carlson are being very irresponsible by sending out this messaging, by sending out the messaging I think he sent out yesterday, that maybe the vaccines just don't work. that is irresponsible. It's misinformation, and it's causing,
3: I, I think, in the in the long run, um, people to die.
1: So I'm just wondering, why does she single out white white male Republicans as the people that are so vaccine hesitant? Is, is she unfamiliar with the fact that there's very widespread vaccine hesitancy among Black and Hispanic uh, members of our American community? I'm just, I'm just wondering, does that ever? cross her mind? No, of course not. It's, it's an opportunity to make a cheap political point, to take a cheap shot, and she takes it because, I mean, it's the view, folks. A lot of ignorance there, that's for sure. Um, something else to maybe give you a good close to the to the show here. A, uh, a man who tried to discourage Antifa from engaging in violence at a protest. Let's take a look at what happened.
0: Hey, hey, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare.
1: Looks like uh, BLM and Antifa have to figure out, are they on the same page here or not? But not our problem. Well, I guess it's the whole country's problem, actually, because they're looking like they may end up destroying minneapolis and who knows how many other cities because of, of justice or, or something right yeah that's it for tonight's hold the line we got the no spin news with bill o'reilly up next shields high.